You're listening to On Resistance. I'm Bobby London. On today's show, I guess it's time we can finally call it fascism, right? We'll be discussing um, this past weekend, authoritarian liberals and fascism. Hello, this is Jay. If you've listened to any of our past shows, we've done multiple shows kind of breaking down the word fascism and how it applies to the U.S. nation state. There's a huge trend right now about calling the United States and the presidency fascist because of the presidency, the person who's in office. And so, you know, these white supremacist neo-Nazi rallies have been happening and are now getting more attention due to the current constructed presidency. And so we're having a lot of shifts politically. I don't know if it's ideologically, but um, in terms of language. So now you have liberals identifying and using the word Antifa without, in my opinion, fully understanding like what it is they're talking about. So we have all these shifts happening and this kind of scrambling to address the tactics that are necessary to fight fascism, but still fascism is being defined in this limited capacity right now, and it needs to broaden and and deepen because the nation state, the U.S. nation state, has always had the capacity to fascism. It was formed through genocide. The legal system was formed through genocide and white supremacy. And so we have right now a lot of people focusing on gatherings, symbols, and yeah, statues, but the nation state that was created, those statues are not being questioned. That history is not being questioned or called out as fascist. Yeah, it gets deeper, I think, needs to be like the theme. Um, Right now, people have a really shallow analysis overall politically. Um, And especially when it comes to like white supremacy and um, the events that have been happening recently with the rallies of the open white supremacists. You know, there's a lot of people who are acting like this is something new, which is so insulting and um, disrespectful and just, like, ignorant um, and white supremacists because this has been happening, has existed forever, and since the origin of this colony. To see, like, liberals and leftists and anarchists um, who are white sort of, like, now be so engaged in with race being anti-racist and anti-white supremacist. And, you know, um, it really just highlights that, like, yes, these political shifts are happening, but what is a constant through all of them is still the existence of white supremacy, either if it's the white people or the internalized version of it from non-white people. And, um, and yeah, you just you really, really see it come out in people and all of the hot takes that have been going on around You know, just like this past weekend with the rally in um, Seville, like it's it's really astounding. And what's really interesting is like if you look at the political landscape of it, it's like you see a lot of these people and they were like Bernie people. And so it's like, you know, they got upset that their candidate didn't win. Like, so they were still for the state. They just wanted, like, their person to be in charge of the state. And so now that that didn't happen and maybe they feel disillusioned that it can't happen, they're like, okay, well, like, now I'm anti-status, you know. Or I, I don't even know if they're anti-status. They're just, like, against this current administration. So they want to call themselves, like, anarchists or, you know, revolutionaries or whatever, like, you know, where they picked out a hat to label themselves right now. It's just so, and I say shallow because it is, like, 
you know, like all white people are white supremacists. So like to be just saying like, oh, you know, we're fighting the white supremacists, like and be a white person, like what? <laughs> like, are you fighting yourself? Um, Sean King has been tweeting like, let's locate this white supremacist. And I, I just think that's such a like, you know, like, OK, like, let me post a picture of Bernie and be like, let's locate this white supremacist because it's it needs to have the layered analysis or else what are we really talking about? Like, then it's not really getting to the root of the problem. Like, we're not really understanding, like, the depth of, like, you know, why this world is so effed right now. And, like, we're at the peak of, I would say, in modern society of the escalation of, like, all the violence and wrongs that have been happening for hundreds of years. Like, because of also we have, like, this environmental climate change that's, like, happening. And so, you know, it's kind of, like that show that's created by that like racist white supremacist which all shows are created by racist white supremacists but at game of thrones winter has come and like everyone's fighting over like the chair but the like dead walkers are coming so it's just like all of the storm is happening and it's just it's tiring there's a cycle of like response and reaction there's like what people have referred to as the think piece industrial complex which I think it's good that impacted people are having their narratives heard and shared. At the same time, like the same obsession that has been for the last, which is basically like white people obsessing over what is their role in the movement, what can they do, and then now we have these kind of formations of visible, organized white supremacy as opposed to the constant white supremacy, but the formally organized uh, groups, the Proud Boys, I mean, they keep naming themselves new things. So there's the Proud Boys, there's the Red Elephants now, what else, the Alt Knights. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's all these spinoffs that are happening as the reactionary, they're nationalist movements. And so nationalism in the United States is white supremacist. And that's why when people gather and try to combat white supremacist nationalism, appealing to the U.S. government or singing, I think Roxanne Dunbar-Ortiz posted about how she was at a Berkeley rally against white nationalism in solidarity and people were singing the colonialist song, this land is your land, this land is my land. She was highlighting that that is white nationalism. That song is white nationalism. And so what you have is what people want to isolate as, oh, this is just fringe white nationalism over here. Let's all focus and look at that. And in the meantime, what what is being covered up by that? What is being insulated and protected from, from being called out? How is it that liberals think, I mean, I don't, the how isn't even relevant. Liberals really think that they can check white nationalism with nationalism. And that's not the case because nationalism in the United States is white nationalism. Like supporting the U.S. nation state is supporting racism and genocide and displacement and mistreatment and creating hierarchies based on anti-blackness and um, on white supremacy, all those things. So the tactics that liberals are using while calling themselves radicals, which is frustrating, are still in support of white nationalism. And so when you're appealing to the government, or I've seen so many things where people are saying, like, why weren't the police there? So how is it that having another formal organization of white supremacy, which is the police, the policing apparatus, the organization of the police, how is inviting that or thinking that should have more power in any way mediating 
towards the abolition of white supremacy. You just have these liberals that people are more and more on the same page of saying like, oh yeah, the authoritarian right. We can call out the authoritarian right, but not really looking to their left and seeing that, like, where is authoritarianism and white supremacy taking root here in our circles that we're calling progressive? Because progress under white nationalism is not liberation. So really, what we're talking about is white people, right? As like one layer of it is like white people and whiteness. Um, and then there's white people who have like different political beliefs. But again, like the through line of it is still always in the white interests. When you look at what happened with this year's election with Trump becoming president, it was like, you know, white people being upset that there was a black person as president, even though that person still upheld white supremacy. But they were upset that like the figurehead was black. So then they made sure to like put someone in that was like going to bring, you know, whiteness back. But kind of the same thing happened with, like, the resistance in the movement. Like, it was like, okay, BLM, like, the, um, I need to stop calling it the BLM because that's just kind of reiterating the co-optation. The, like, black liberation movement that has been happening during President Obama's turn, the anti-blackness in the discussion of white supremacy is totally being, like, ignored. And it's just, like, white supremacy, but, like, no discussion of anti-blackness. So if you look at all the movements and, like, you know, figureheads and um, what is being centered, it's it's whiteness. When we just came from a year where, like, anti-blackness was finally being centered. And all of the, like, interest, labor and sacrifice and pain and suffering that black people have, like, pushed to get black liberation to where it is and then to have it co-opted by Black Lives Matter organization trademark um, with the help of non-black liberals. And then now to have all, like, black liberation and, like, anti-blackness really not even be a part of the conversation anymore. And then to see all these anti-fascist actions and have, like, a white person always be centered, whether it was the white person in dreads who got socked at the um, Bay Area action or the white person that got um, killed by the car. Um, Whiteness will always be centered. That's a problem. Like, that's a huge problem. That's white supremacy. This is why it's just, this is why liberals love Trump. This is why leftists love Trump. This is why anarchists love, like, white anarchists, white liberals, white leftists love Trump. Because, like, they get to point and be like, you are the bad white supremacists. You are, you know, you guys are the bad white people. Me, good person. I will go and risk my life for these, you know, N-words and just be happy that I'm showing up to the protest in the first place because that's exactly what happens. It shows, like, how, like, this is not a movement. It's just, like, a treadmill. And, like, until people really... And no, it's never going to happen because, like, people aren't ever going to be able to deconstruct their, you know, white supremacy when they're white. It's just, like, it's not going to happen. So it's just, like, this is what it is. I'm glad to know. Like, you know, I see you and why unity is a, does not exist. There's no such a unity. There is only mom- momentarily times that when we have the shared interests that as individuals we can collectively come together depending on what it is. But this idea of left unity or, like, unity against, like, you know, let's just have unity against fascism is what I've heard. It's like, okay, let's just have unity against fascism and totally ignore everything else that, like, is affecting us and everything else on why and, like, all the other pillars of oppression that make fascism exist. Let's just all ignore that. So, yeah, you know, there can't be unity. By asking for it is what you're really saying is, like, be quiet, assimilate, 
politically and um and accept accept a little gesture of like of white supremacy humanity i'm willing to give to you like accept that um and if not then like shut up it's yeah right now like the timelines are all aflame with the phrase white supremacy and people are using it to mean like something specific finally has finally crossed their threshold of what is considered oppression by whiteness by the power structure shaped by whiteness by the behaviors and the models of power and it's not power it's it's oppression basically the the power of oppression shaped by whiteness um, and that gets reproduced in social movements of, in gatherings of all kind and all of our social relationships and so then it becomes why are we looking towards like why is the definition of anti-fascism being shaped by whiteness why is resistance being shaped by whiteness and is it possible it has to happen but how do you decenter whiteness in order to combat white supremacy because you can't be combating white supremacy while not doing that because really you're just reproducing your own social position through movement spaces. And so there's also this huge problem with people who are seeing that harm happens, but harm has continued to happen on a huge, massively, like on an industrial scale, like on a massively produced scale. Like mass incarceration is white supremacy is a massive system of harm that is supported by courts, the legal system, the police, and you, the average person that just walks or drives by the police without a second thought. For that to continue happening and people to just want to focus on, yeah, I agree with what you said, Just it just needs to deepen, always deepening. And I feel like there's this issue when there's um, heightened conflict because the conflict is always happening. So I feel like right now we're in a cycle of revealing the conflict to people who have not yet acknowledged that the conflict is what it is. And so what does this do to people who have always known that they're in a conflict and been situated within that? We're stuck with the framing that happens. And so people say, oh, well, the mainstream doesn't care about white supremacy, but we're making the mainstream care about white supremacy through these gatherings and these actions. and these." I don't really know like how trying to look towards structures of state violence like the government, those are vehicles of mass institutionalized racism. There was someone the other day who I was talking to and they were saying that non-white liberals don't get blamed as much as white liberals do. Like white liberalism sets the standard of engagement and like coercion for people. So white liberalism is what's telling people you have to assimilate into this power structure you have to find a representative, and that's the way to navigate this structure. Of course there's racial tension, but then there's reaction to that racial tension that enables and further um, reinforces that oppression, that racial oppression, where you have non-white people constantly being pressured to participate in a power structure that is against survival. And then you have the people with social power in those situations then saying, oh, look, well, you're doing liberalism too. And it's not the same. It's not the same thing. Like, who's benefiting from that? Who benefits from this power structure staying the way it is and the political process staying the way it is and people staying, like, stuck in the cycle of appealing to oppressors for something to change? I mean, it's just frustrating. It's tiring to always have to be breaking down your point to people in a way that they can try to, like, pretend to understand. 
Um, and then when you say that, you get called like a vanguardist or elitist or radical than thou. And it's like, no, dude, like I'm tired of like each time this happens, having to be like, oh, like, hey, you guys are all really patting yourselves on the back and like you're calling these Antifa, you know, these brave like soldiers risking their lives and all this stuff. And it's like you don't realize um that you are actually being really anti-black by saying that, that your battle with white supremacy is on like a day that you have to like drive and go to and then you drive and leave. Whereas mine's just opening my eyes and choosing like not to kill myself. Like that is, it's infuriating. It's like when um, Justine Damon, the person whose name I know and I don't even wanna know, um, but that white woman from Australia that was killed by the cop and then it was like, oh, my gosh, like, and then the police chief, you know, had to, like, to step down or get fired. And it was like a whole thing. And, and the right was like, oh, well, all of a sudden we care about police brutality and, like, you know, let's, like, give all the info on this black, you know, Muslim, like, we know his religion, um, police officer. And, and then it was funny because then there was, like, white people and, like, non-black people on the, like opposite side or whatever we're like oh like that's hypocrisy da 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 you know like this is white supremacy and then that heather hair person whose name i know right was like gets killed and it's like oh my gosh someone has now died <laughs> someone has now died because of white supremacy and it's like my grandmother was hit by a car by a white supremacist and there was no police support filed on her because you were a black person at that time and they the police didn't give a f you know, and so it's like, where is her hashtag? Where is my hundreds of thousand dollars of reparations like for my family and for all the other black families who have been killed by white supremacy throughout the years and no one gave a F about like, you know, like how how insulting, how disrespectful, how much, you know, you let us know that white lives do matter. Like, you know, like that is an honest hashtag. White lives matter is way more honest than black lives matter. Black lives matter is um, it's a hope. It's a wish. Um, it's. Every time a non-black person has Black Lives Matter in their bio, you are a liar and you are, um, you're just trying to like associate yourself to blackness and make yourself feel better about your anti-blackness, but it is a lie. Because the reality of this world is that black lives do not matter and white supremacy will always be upholded. And, you know, and then when a black person dare says like, hey, actually, let's not make this white woman a martyr, then all of a sudden now we're the heartless person, we're the wrong, like it's us, like, no, like, you know, like, we're supposed to have empathy for our oppressor? Like, what do you think this is about? Like, what do you think fighting white supremacy looks like? What do you think, like, it's not a game. It's not just some words that you get to say. Like, it's real. And, like, you know, decentering whiteness, fighting white supremacy, the fighting is a literal term. And, and it's not pretty. And it's not something you just chant. And so... Yeah, like, think about it. Like, just stop for a second and think outside of your own self, like, if it's possible. Um, because, like, black people are always forced to have to have empathy and understanding, but, like, reverse never happens for us. And so um, just realize every time you're, like, sharing that picture of her or her GoFundMe or, like, chanting or, like, giving a high five to your buddies or yourself for going to some anti-racist protest, roll my eyes. Um, just know that, like, that's anti-black and, and it's tiring and draining to have to keep explaining this. 
And white supremacy right now is becoming this trigger word, bringing this into this like public constant discussion, like where people are seeing this false model of supremacy being just repeated over and over again. And that's coupled with this idea of like white supremacy, which is white exceptionalism, which is like not all whites, which is like, oh, look, whites can die for this. What more can they do for this? And it's like, well, there's lots to undo. And so that is a huge hindrance to so-called dreams of unity, to like expect people to just whitewash over that or not see it or not be affected by that um, when it's constantly obvious while demanding. I mean, I just really don't like the word unity. And I feel like that makes me a bad leftist. And that's fine because I don't identify as a leftist. But people are really in this place right now where I can see the allure um, saying like, oh, we I, I get we have accountability issues, but we need to like work through those things as we continue this fight because there's this perception that people aren't doing that for some reason. And I think it's an incorrect perception that the reason why there is no cohesive or like uniform, I don't know what unity means, but I don't really think that uniformity is going to bring liberation or that people all having the same ideology or agreeing on the same tactic is going to bring liberation or provoke it or instigate it or agitate it. I don't believe that, but it's also disrespectful to presume that people are not constantly working through these toxic relationships while we survive and then also to do something else, to have this not be the only world that's possible, the world that we're trapped in. Like, I want there to be pause before people start making these demands for unity because I don't know what that means and that becomes a placeholder for control for one faction or another. And as we know, like every couple years, a new hot organization will come on the scene and start to dominate and determine what resistance tactics look like, which is a constant redefining process, which is a constant whitewashing process, which is a constant control process. I've been reading lots of stuff, but I haven't really been putting out a lot of stuff. And I was thinking about it and... I feel like it's because everyone right now wants to have answers. And I think there's lots of questions and there's lots of questions not being asked. And so if any organization or group is skipping the questions to go to the answers, providing answers to people in this like heightened awareness, which should not only be selective and should not just be based on this last weekend, to me, that's like a red flag. So as usual, we're here to ask questions <laughs> and not, not provide those absolutes. Yeah, the DSA is horrible, and I can't... <laughs> Thank you for saying the name. And I'm just, like, I'm thinking in my head, I was like, who are they going to run in 2020? Like, is it going to be Bernie? Like, are they probably working behind the scenes to try to get Bernie to run on their ticket? And just how, like, so many people, individuals, and, like, orgs do this. Like, they, like, ride the wave of like, you know, political unrest. And then like a second it starts to become like accountability, then they try to like distance themselves from it. Um, but like they've already got like the platform from it, so it doesn't matter. And yeah, people have this strong internalized desire to be led and like that really needs to be like deconstructed, like hierarchies and, you know, wanting to have someone give you the answers for how you should live your life is like the inherent problem with like 
statism and representative government, everything wrong in this country um, and world. And so really exploring autonomy, it's like, how do you have autonomy and then also have unity? Like, like to me, revolution is a constant, but for them, I think it's just like a one act. And I don't think they ever think like that social change is really going to happen. So they just get to like use the rhetorics and like profit off it for their own interests. But like in reality, like if we really do want like change for our individual lives that is more autonomous, like, yeah, it's not going to be unity. Like it's going to be like this. It's going to be that uncomfortable, sad feeling of like realizing that you can't really have like a large community because of all the intersecting ways of which you're oppressed, you know, like in figuring out that like people close to you are your oppressors and they're okay with that and not really looking at like checking that like you know that it's not just like this big large like okay you know let's all unite together against this bad thing because it's more numbers in many than in one and like you can't really do that and when you try to do it like you kill a little bit of yourself you kill a little bit of your autonomy and like your own like personal like path and I'm speaking as this like when I'm saying this I'm speaking as myself as like a black woman because like yeah like for me to be unified with like white people like it would be a lot of swallowing and a lot of biting my lip and a lot of like not speaking up and like you know I've done that in Occupy and I'll never do that again and then when I did speak up in Occupy like it was like they went at me so hard and so like uh, brutally for calling them racist and so to people who are like not white and especially, like, the black listeners, like, if you have a lot of white proximity, like, start speaking up for yourself and start speaking up against, like, anti-blackness and see how long those people are still around you. And that just makes me think, like, for the people who do consider themselves radicalizing and deepening their analysis and their understanding of power structures and social war, between people based on these hierarchies that we've learned, internalized, and also, like, had oppressed onto people, chances are, like, if I'm being honest, to deepen that analysis, mistakes were made, harm was done, people probably told you. Or maybe that was a situation where um, you don't know the effect that you had on those spaces. Like, because learning is a messy... Learning and unlearning isn't always healing like it sometimes reveals more of the wound and so the process of radicalizing to know that that goes into that process and then afterwards to demand unity when people have probably already done so much unconsensual emotional labor specifically people with layers and layers of privilege or who also at the same time simultaneously who don't experience layers and layers of oppression. There's, yeah, this attraction, this cultivated attraction to unity. Where does that come from? We're still so close to nationalism, and that's the state's version of unity. When we use these words, what versions are we trying to create? What is being suppressed in order to create a visible unity that you can present to who? To some adversary What's been helpful to me in rejecting that is thinking about it in terms of multiplicity, just thinking about it as many, as opposed to the goal being one. Maybe the goal is many. It's very elusive. I disagree with the goal of unity. I don't think it's going to solve everything. I don't think it's going to make a strong liberation movement. I think it just means a lot of these orgs are opportunist and they want to build 
their org so that they can position themselves to be and have a greater influence in quote-unquote progress. Because to instigate revolution, to be in the practice of revolutionizing, of transforming, of deconstructing and agitating and all of that, that has an element of multiplicity of many people doing many things. And that is going to threaten an organizational stronghold. A lot of these organizations that talk about resistance, that say all these things, like they wouldn't benefit themselves if the people, their quote unquote membership, started deconstructing, looking at non-uniform ideas of resistance. I know that people don't consider it opportunism because they consider it recruitment. And recruitment is considered to be just another organizational practice. But again, it's like, why are we using the same organizational practices that have been used by colonization? Conversion, recruitment are tactics of colonization. So why would we use those in the formations that are being used to organize? I guess we should draw a distinction between people organizing others and then the practice of self-organizing, of trying to encourage everyone to have the tools to self-organize that just makes me think again, like of all the different layers of authoritarianism. They're really to be able to have like their power, the centralized power. Like there has to be some sort of authority over the narrative or over the actions and tactics. And but these orgs are like, you know, they're they're hip. They're like into the nose. They know what language to use and what language not to use. So they'll use self-organizing, even though it's not really self-organizing. You know, it's like, no, you know, this is like us just self-organizing ourselves. you know. But, hey, like one person's calling the meetings all the time. And, hey, like actually, you know, you have to be invited to the meetings to be able to have a say or speak. And like and so many of these types of people like financially profit from this stuff, you know, and like they get grants or they get like money to like go and start new, like, organizations to fight something that they know, like, their organization is not going to be able to actually fight, but it's like they still get hundreds of thousand dollars to do it anyways. And then they funnel the money to their other friends, you know, and, and it's just a cycle and cycle and cycle and cycle, and that's the nonprofit industrial complex. And, and it's really, like, horrible when you think about it. Um, and because there's a cynicism in it because, like, yeah, they know, like, that their art installation um, projecting to fight against the jails being built in L.A. isn't going to do anything. But, yeah, they're going to get $100,000, and that's going to be the main resistance against building new jails in L.A.? Okay, I see you. It just goes to, like, what are we really about? What are we trying to do? And, like, or what are you about? What are you really trying to do? Like, who is the we, right? I don't know. Like, I have no desire to go to these rallies. Like, I don't need to be there. If you white people want to fight white people, do it. <laughs> go. Have fun. Fight each other. Um, I'm going to figure out how I'm going to, like, survive all this and hopefully find other people with similar ideas on how we can survive together. But I'm kind of on that tip, like, that's not even possible. But... I don't know, maybe something will happen and it'll give me hope. I feel like that's the main thing a lot of these orgs do is, like, rather than engage the depth of the battle, it gets replaced with, like, false hope. Like, the situation is bleak. Like, it's okay to say that. It's okay to say that this is a really, (laughs) a really, really bleak 
situation, like, that's why I use the word trapped. If someone or anyone or any group comes in and sees your disappointment and sees that bleakness and sees that awareness, because that's awareness, that is awareness, that this is, like, oh, so layered and so deep and so challenging, you'll lose, you'll take apart yourself and covers that up with, like, well, all you need to do is sign up here <laughs> and um, come to this one rally or do this. To me, like, that's a flag, you know, because I think after electoralism failing as it does, I mean, and people would say, like, that electoralism failing is getting the wrong leader as opposed to the right leader, but I think electoralism failing is people participating and then realizing that it doesn't really do much. Like, our participation in this political process doesn't do more than legitimize it. There's, like, a lot of disappointment. And so from disappointment can come resistance can come anger and a loss of faith in the electoral political process. However, instead of that happening and cultivating resistance, you have these orgs popping up to prevent you from fully feeling this disappointment of these elections and and redirect it into this process. Yeah, to me, like the DSA. So I don't know a lot about the DSA, but all I know is I hear their name every day now. Like everybody's posting about it. If people don't support the DSA because they're too liberal or Democrat oriented, there's a debate about that. And I just feel like, listen, you getting a bunch of confused liberals like does not mean like something successful is happening. Like you opportunizing off of the confusion between liberalism and leftism and no one no average person knowing there's <laughs> that you have a difference doesn't mean you're bulking up to your org to be more strategically effective like it doesn't mean that and lots of orgs are like this and then even like orgs who are not the DSA who consider themselves revolutionists with the remaking of words with the calling things anti-authoritarian to like romanticize people into participating there is no application of 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 uh, authoritarian critique within the org decision-making, outside the org, within the nation-state, about the nation-state. And then you have people that are now just using, they don't want to see autonomy. So they are now using, they're now using autonomous and individual interchangeably. Just looking deeper into what autonomy means, because I've just seen people be like, well, we need organizations because we don't need a bunch of just individuals saying they're autonomous. And so I think that's because, like, well, that would challenge your organizational power if you had more and more people, like, feeling encouraged to explore autonomy and to feel like they can determine and have input in their own conditions. And at the same time, I just feel like there is this opportunism amongst the left, and I mean the anti-capitalist left, the people who call themselves socialists, communists, anarchists even. There is an opportunism where, like, autonomous things... People agitating for autonomy and taking autonomous tactics is appealing to you when it works out. If it doesn't work out, you're going to call it ultra-leftist, purist. You're going to shame us. You're going to blame us for our own arrests. You're going to blame us for getting raided. All of this, all of this. But if the tactic works out, you're going to take that. You're going to glean it, and you're going to call it something else. Or you might even say, oh, look, these anti-authoritarian tactics we're using. And so that's super frustrating it just, yeah, it's it's uh, it's bleak because even when we do have, like, more effective tactics, they get recuperated and co-opted into something else. I feel like it's, like, bleak. You know how it's going to end up. And so it's, like, I feel like I'm just watching until I feel like, yeah, I'm just watching. 
And and then that becomes like a weird thing because you're like, oh, you know, where is my place? And then like, and then I feel like once you kind of deconstruct like that idea that you have a place in the movement, like you should start to then like deconstruct like the idea of what is the movement and more just like, how do you like, like you as an individual, like how are you like existing? And like, I used to always hate when people would frame it like this and people do actually frame it like this and they mean it in a very liberal sense. Like, no, it's just how you live your life and you gotta be like a better person, blah, blah, blah. But like, no, I mean like when you see white people in the street, like how do you challenge them? Like if you see someone wearing like a MAGA hat, like what are you gonna do? When you're having to deal with like your gentrified neighbors, like what are you gonna do? It has to be like that level. It has to be like, how are you actually doing it when you're not going to the rally or the marches? Because the rally and the marches aren't anything. And you could say hearts and minds are being changed. And like, if that's all you want to do is change hearts and minds, like, okay. And like, how much are those minds and hearts being changed though? Like really, like really, really, really. Like, um, I don't, I don't, I don't think that much. Yeah, totally. I also feel like that phrase like also comes from like a nonprofit sphere, like yeah. hearts and minds. Like there's a reason it says hearts and minds and not hearts and minds and structures mm. to be changed. Yeah, I agree. I feel like these uh there's like a lot of like along with the left unity line, there's like this focus on like mass turnout, like like large groups. Um and like, okay, do you um but also like it's on all levels like it's the micro it's the interpersonal it's in all the spaces so it's not just the hyper focus on mass also i would say that there just needs to be from all parties because even though technically this is liberalism like you see a lot of like people who are anti-capitalist still catering to liberals to convincing liberals what are the root issues as to why this structure is maintained as it is and continues to enact harm. Liberalism taught people that tolerance is the solution to both check oppression and if you are the oppressor, you just have to tolerate. If you are being oppressed, you just have to tolerate. Okay, so now you can look to your right and say, oh, they're authoritarian, they're fascist, they're neo-fascist, they're neo-Nazis. We are very clear, we need to destroy the authoritarian right. But, like, authoritarianism isn't limited to conservatism. Like, supporting nationalism in the U.S. state is authoritarianism. Thinking that people need to constantly tolerate oppressive conditions, like, that clearly was not effective and has not been effective. And so I think this whole deeply rooted thinks I remember being taught that as a kid a lot. I remember a lot of propaganda about tolerance. I feel like that is one of the major preventions to a resistance forming is that people are still living with this learned, ingrained idea of tolerance. And that is liberalism. That is trusting the state. That is supporting the government to mediate conditions rather than seeing it as the source of harm. So, yeah, there's just so many things to dig into. And then while all that's happening, then there's also, like, the actual layer of, like, the state repression but with like a current state who like has like direct connections to the people who are organized one wing of white supremacy and it's it's scary because um you've got all these multi-layers of things coming at you and then like the people you're supposed to look at and be able to like kind of be like i f with for a little bit or you you still can't even do that it feels like 
very isolating. And, uh, you know, as, like, state repression will continue to happen, the majority of white people actions get repressed and they will get support and media attention. There's going to be sort of like a neglect to notice in how other communities are being repressed by that same state. And it's on all of us to make sure that doesn't happen and to make sure that is like highlighted and not forgotten. Thinking about security, the cyber like activism and how like how many of those people now are on the right. Like, how many anons are now identified as part of the alt-right, you know? And, like, how they use that as, like, a tactic to sort of, like, attack. So you have that one side. But then you have, like, these, like, liberal media organizations who also are, like, suppressing and, like, who um, also are trying to quiet certain voices. But now I bet you they've changed their tone after this weekend. Like, all, like it was interesting. Like, Atlantic had came out with a piece, and it was, like... Um, you know, yeah, we talk a lot about the extreme right, but what about the extreme left? And then it was, like, bad timing for them, you know? Because now everyone's on that, like, oh, actually, we are united against fighting, Show like, yourself. white supremacy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's, like, it's it's really interesting now how, like, all these liberal media organizations and, you know, white radical, quote-unquote, um, orgs um, are going to, like be able to, like, change their tune and find a way to benefit from it. And that's the annoying thing, too, about this whole, like, movement against white supremacy without recognizing anti-blackness is like if you look it's like all white it's these like white quote-unquote rad medias reporting about it who are gaining financial and social capital and it's mostly white people and i'm racing the non-white people who show up at these events but you know like what images i see and who i see getting like cookies are white people who show up to these events and then when something bad happens to the white person, then, like, it's a whole big thing and it gets focused and, like, it's just white on white on white on white. And it's so much whiteness and I'm just tired of it. And, like, this is just, like, it's just really, like, if you just compare it to 2016 to now, it's just, like, it's the res- I don't want to say the resurgence, but, like, it's just, like, white people across the board, whatever they are politically, were like, nope, okay, like, that was enough. Like, we get it. We know the words now. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like okay, we've learned our lesson. Um, but let me, let me, let me take that microphone. Let me, let me take that. Uh, let me organize this march now. Okay, no more saying white people shouldn't organize. No more saying white people shouldn't be in media. We get it. Yeah. Meanwhile, El Chapo Trap House is a super appropriative name. So bad. Like in so many multiple ways, and they're being <laughs> super funded. Like, that's the other thing is, like, all these predominantly white groups and then also these predominantly white institutions are making bank. So much money. They're making so much money from the uh, disappointment, the unrest, the confusion, and that's supposed to be resistance. So there's just a lot of branding happening right now. It's almost like because Hillary declared a resistance org and Bernie (laughs) declared a revolution org that it's, like, too obvious. Yeah. So people are looking for something else. But it's it's very frustrating. So I started doing this thing where I did it like a few times. I didn't even do it that much. Where I started tweeting at them at Chapo Frat House, as like some article called them, at saying like, hey, you know, if you're really about that life, you should redistribute some of that wealth you're getting for your Patreon because you're getting so much money. Because of that, some like Reddit thread was started about me from like their supporters and like they're very closely connected to DSA. 
Um, that's like a lot of their funding comes from is like people who are members of DSA. And so it's just interesting how it's like, well, no, like these are actually like white boys like benefiting from like all this political unrest that like they did nothing to actually like help like work on and like and then like when actually pushed for like their BS politics and then they kind of like default to like, oh, you know, don't take us seriously. Yeah, that's kind of like what all these groups do, you know, and that's like a very like white beneficial thing you can do is you can opt in and you can opt out but benefit the whole time because you've already been able to like get your social and financial capital from it. And yeah, it's really, really, like so ridiculous. Yeah, especially that the response is, oh, we're not that serious. Don't take us seriously. Then why are you getting $70,000? Because white people just want to give their, white people and unfortunately non-white people just want to give their money to white people so badly who speak politically. They just want to give them cookies and praise and be like, no, this person is like actually really aware. They're one of the good ones. Like they really want to like uphold that so much. And like, you know, because you don't want to listen to a show like this if you're someone not really actively trying to deconstruct your stuff. Like, unless you're really, like, trying to be about that, like, why would you want to hear people, like, tell you on your stuff? Like, that's not fun to hear. So you want to hear, like, the really apolitical, blase blah, but you can call radical and make yourself think that you're radical, right? Um, and because that's all you want. You want the radical. You want the Fashion 21 Antifa shirt or, like, a, you know, you want to be able to, like, say you were cool or whatever you think it means to be these things because now it's becoming like very like fetishized and Hollywoodish and like you know I'm pr- waiting for the Hollywood show called Black Block <laughs> you know about like cis skinny like people <laughs> who like go and fight crime <laughs> it's probably gonna happen <laughs> starring like Amanda, whatever her name is, and, like, <laughs> Miley Cyrus or something right. horrible. Emma Watson. Yeah, Emma Watson. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Emma Watson would be, like, the white, like, lead. And, oh, but everyone will love it because she'll have, like, a, like, woman-on-woman kiss. And they'll be like, oh, no, this is actually really rad. And then she'll shave her head. Um, and it'll be so cool. It'll be on Netflix next year. <laughs> that was actually a promo. No. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, I do think the waves are happening. I feel like it's like a wave doesn't fully end. A a wave of despair for us might be a wave of, like, energy for someone else. But, like, that energy is still, it's, like, energy is energy. So where is it being directed? Like, what opportunists are guiding it? Like, what narratives are being focused on? Like, still white exceptionalism being focused on. So for people who have never protested before, if it's gotten to this point and they're like, now I'm ready, <laughs> like, whatever. Yeah, protesting just means different things to different people. And so, like, people are in different places. And cultivating my resistance means not feeling pressured to go to these spaces all the time and, like, break things, like I said, break things down for people or model things or put on actions for other people while I'm getting burnt out. I feel like that is a lot of the pressure and allure the pressure behind quote-unquote organizing culture to constantly put on things to like engage in something for someone else regardless of like what the effect is on you yeah cultivating resistance means I don't have to do that all the time like I think that yeah it's a continuum and people are in different places and like people are going to try different tactics and like maybe yeah I'll go back and I'll retry some tactics I've tried maybe I'll try new ones but I've learned that like 
trying to convince liberals is not a good expenditure of my energy. It's not emotionally, mentally healthy at all. Are no, none of it. It's a really abusive process. Um, yeah, I think the whole like rise of the rad libs is just like very like it's draining because it's easier with just like liberals and you can just be like oh, okay liberal but then like rad libs you're like and then when you see people turning into rad libs and then like it's just yeah it's just a lot but you know this this is what it is I don't think it's you know it's it's not called resistance <laughs> for nothing. <laughs> For all your inspiring, <laughs> resistance-inclined listening pleasure, <laughs> you can find us, you know, online. Yeah, check out www.soundcloud.com slash on-resistance, at least as long as SoundCloud's around. Um, <laughs> if not, then check out at onresistancela on Twitter or search for us on onresistance on Facebook or email us at onresistanceradio at gmail.com. Uh, we are on every week except for the first Friday 